Hi, this is Jonathan, and I play the human wizard, Jonathan the Magimuscular. Hi, I'm Jack. I play Trevancore, a half-elf Beastmaster Ranger. Hi, this is John. I play your half-orc barbarian, Carlton Tanks. Hi, this is Julia. I play the rock gnome cleric, Bernice Q. Burns. And I am Lauren, a.k.a. Obocrazy, your humble DM, and welcome to Dungeon Drunks. This episode is sponsored by Polymorph Crafts. Visit polymorphcrafts.com to learn about their high-quality, compact, and affordable tabletop accessories. Ladies and gentlemen, last time on Dungeon Drunks, our party finished up most of the stuff that they had going on under the Tunnels of the Bloody Fist for the moment, met up with Olivia Passerac, got some more information about what exactly they need to do for the Feast of the Moon, and then while Travancore and Carlton enjoyed some chat and some foosball, Bernie and Jonathan went to go see Seekin, the druid nearby who was able to finally pull the re- relevant information out from Bucks and Coco Snook about the little trip that they went on to a faraway land in the middle of a teleportation. Bothered by what they had heard, everybody gathered up again, cleaned themselves up, and as we return, Jonathan has just presented Travancore with a piece of paper that has the picture of his cousin on it and has informed him that he is about to die. And that's where we begin tonight. Welcome to Dungeon Drunks. I'm Lauren, aka Obocrazy, your humble DM. I'm finishing off the last of my Pyramid Apricot Ale, because when I buy a six-pack, it pretty much takes a couple weeks to get through it, because I'm boring that way, I guess. Travancore, what are you drinking? Good people of Faerun, the Viceroy's choice this evening is a bit of an unconventional mimosa, so I started off with orange juice as one does, but the only white wine we had was a sparkling Sauvignon Blanc. And anyone who knows wine knows that that thing's got it's a little bit of a robust wine, kind of a little bit bitter. So when I just had those two, it's like I I can't drink this and be happy. Luckily, my my better half my offered me her the rest of her strawberry lemonade that I poured in here, and now this thing tastes like a sweet tart. But I don't know what to call it except maybe a sweet tart. A sweet tart, yeah, I like that. It sounds interesting though. It's good. I like it. You can't even taste the booze anymore. Dang. Mm. Those are sometimes the best drinks and sometimes the worst. Bernie, what are you drinking? Um, I've got another, I've got a brand new cider. This one is from Toronto and it's called Batch 1904 and it's from Brickwork Cider House. Is it good? We're going to find out. Oh. It's an entry in the cider wars. So we stopped by the Lickbo, got some cider. I like these live on air, well, live, quote unquote, on air testings that that Bernie and Carlton have been doing with their alcohol. I find this amusing. Like, who knows if this is good. It smells good. Also, it's all Ontario apples. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, I like this. This is good. Good. I like drier ciders. And so this isn't, this isn't too sweet or too like, some people just make soda when they make cider. This is good. This is really good. Dry is good because if it's too, if it's not dry enough, then by the time you get through a decent, like a cup of cider, you get that weird, like that sugary taste in your mouth. Like, oh, I've been eating Jolly Ranchers for the last five years. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I, some ciders are just like, like a lot of the like, like, I don't want to be like a snob, but like a lot of the like, I am just a generic brand set, like. Magners, uh, Angry Orchard. Angry 
Orchard is they pretty good. Angry Orchard so much. They're pretty good, but there's like yeah. like people that are like hard cider. Like if you're a something hard, this you're probably just feeding me sugar and booze. Oh, that guy yeah. Mike. I freaking hate that Mike. guy Mike. He doesn't make very good. Oh, damn it, Mike. <laughs> what was the name of our drow? Damn it, Shirley. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was Shirley. Susan and Edith. Susan, Susan and Edith. Susan yeah. and Edith, and their and shitty we didn't friend get a chance Mike. To meet Patricia from the creators of Grace and Frankie. <laughs> Come Jonathan, soon. what are you drinking? <laughs> uh, this is Jonathan. I play Jonathan the Med Muscular. And I, first, before I say my drink, I have a request. As I am no longer able to take part in the Cider Wars, I feel someone should take up my banner of Ace Pear Cider. So, if you're out there and you love Ace, please send your pictures to at Dungeon Drunks on Twitter or Dungeon underscore Drunks on Instagram. Let us know that you are taking up the cider fight for Ace Pair Justice or just Ace Justice in general. Uh, moving on to my drink. It's a diet redhead. It's ginger, <laughs> ginger ale and vodka because that's what I can have. Oh, and this yummy, yummy shot of Fireball to be consumed at the first casting of Fireball. You know what? We're going to shill. It's fine. This shot of Fireball is for Idol Champions of Forgotten <laughs> Forgotten Realms. Hey! Yay! Hey! It's not shilling. They've given us awesome stuff. They've no, given us awesome actually stuff. actually really fun game. So, like, yes. I don't yes. think, I'm not big on being like, oh, I like this game. It, I played it. I sat down and played it, and then I couldn't stop playing it. So there's that. Yep. I would not promote anything that I didn't find awesome myself. So. Yeah. But, but they are awesome. They are giving, they're giving, you guys stuff. They're giving our fans yeah. stuff. So that's that's Ooh, excellent. Mm. So uh hang out for the code, I think what, like mid midway ad read? Somewhere somewhere in the middle of this episode. It's it's like a scavenger hunt. In the middle of this episode, you'll just suddenly get a code. All you have to do is go one direction and you'll we'll find it. Like, yeah. You'll go to you'll go to Carl fourth letter of Carlton's name, fifth letter of Ovo's <laughs> name, seventh letter of Travancore's name. Are there seven letters of Travancore? No one knows. I will say. If not, it is really hard underscore. to listen and type the code at the same time. If only there was some way on a podcast that you could pause and type yes. and then and then rewind. rewind and then pause and then rewind. Yeah. Also, can you use this noise? Can we go when the code is? There you go. Carlton. What are you drinking? So there was mention of uh, the cider, which is made from apples, and then somebody mentioned uh, Jolly Rancher, and I'm assuming that this is only going to taste like a fucking Jolly Rancher because oh. it is Jones's oh, green no. apple soda. That's not oh, a color found dear. in nature. That looks no. like someone distilled Tinkerbell. Yes. Uh, and let's see if it tastes like a distilled Tinkerbell. <laughs> Poor Tinkerbell. Ooh, Poor it Tinkerbell. tastes like that, that place between sleep and awake. Oh, God. Oh, that is. That was not. Ooh, that is that not, was not, not going to be a good day. Nope. That is nope. a weird concoction of like sweet and tart. And oh. I think there's way too much sugar in this. Do you have a backup drink? Nope. Uh, yeah, 40 grams of sugar. Awesome. Oh, oh man. That's, as Wilford Brimley would say, diabetes. That's that diabetes. <laughs> Welcome, Wilf- brother. I'm Wilford Brimley, and <laughs> I sponsor this bottle. podcast. I would like to talk to you all about the diabetes. Now I want to. We don't have to hire Wilford Brindley. I'm right fucking here. I mean, in all fairness, I'm only drinking these sodas once a week, so I should be okay because I don't usually yeah. drink soda outside. I usually stick to teas and water. Yeah. Yeah. But God damn, this is fucking sweet. Yeah, yeah. It, you know what? If you have to run and go get water in the middle of that just so you don't get dehydrated, I will totally understand. Speaking 
of I'm getting dehydrated. <laughs> parties. So when we last saw our heroes, as I said, the last thing that happened was they were cleaned and ready to go to this party that Olivia Passerac is putting on for the Feast of the Moon, as today is the Feast of the Moon. And Jonathan, just before you have left the the bar that you guys are staying at, the tavern, has had this moment with Travancore, this uncomfortable, very awkward moment. Hi! And- Bernie's so mad. He is grinning like an idiot while the rest of you look very confused as Travancore has just been told that his cousin is coming to kill him. And we pick up from there and I'm going to sit back with my beer now. Have fun. Are you kidding? You would really? Yeah, no, no. This is, this is, uh, I think this is her. Coco Snoot. Is this the bad lady? Coco Snoot's going to give you a look that says, read the room, asshole. Oh. Coco Snoot also sniffs the paper and th- does nothing because Coco Snoot is in working mode. Okay. Coco Snoot is in work. Coco Snoot is 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 knows but be- knows her- his master is mad. Listen, I was thinking of the most hilarious way to reveal this. I think I have succeeded. But um, but seriously though, is is this something we should be immediately worried about? I. I don't know about immediate. I don't know how soon. Like, if if our... So, Bucks is the reason you saw it. You, you have this picture, right? And Bucks nods. Hmm. Okay. So, the animals may have been waylaid somehow. That That's the only explanation, right? Teleportation of weirdness, if that sound about right? Uh, according to both Bucks and Coco Snoot, uh, yes. Okay. We went to go see a druid who can talk to animals. All right. And he says that your sister is after you. This would not be the way I chose to reveal it. Um, but she's coming here, Travancore. Well, I don't have a sister. My mom was very adamant that after me, she or was done. Or your cousin? Your cousin. Cousin. It was cousin. Cousin. Well, I resemble this. I can recognize resemble. I, well, I resemble it too, but I recognize some of the facial features as being that of my late uncle. He was actually, well, at one point, a viceroy, and he was sent out to this place called Alcara, which was separatist from Burkhanum, to sort of reunite. But then he went native and waged open war against Burkhanum. So my father became viceroy, and they fought a war. And it was long and bad, and a lot of losses on both sides. And finally, the only way he was able to win was to turn into a giant and crush him. So if this is my cousin, then she's definitely out for revenge. She's after us. She's she's seeking to avenge her fallen kingdom. So I don't know how soon we're going to see this person, but we definitely have to be on the ready. I mean, I can't sit here and worry about this stuff. We have... Olivia to take care of. We have weapons of Braconum out in town. There's a million other fires to put out, and... There's nothing we can do about it right now, so I say we just proceed as planned. Um, Hold on. You're yeah. not oh, worried. You are not worried that your cousin, who is hell-bent on revenge for the death of her father, you're not worried about her coming to a land that is not yours and wreaking havoc? Because I'm a little worried. I didn't say I wasn't worried. I said there's nothing I can do about it immediately. She's going to make a move sooner or later, and... We're just going to have to keep our eyes and ears open. Okay, it. and and I do agree. Um, well, okay, I don't agree that there's nothing that we can do right now. Open the suggestions, friend. Yes. What is her skill set? I know next to nothing about her. The only reason I know she exists is because she showed me a picture of her. You showed me a picture of her, and I was able to intuit, based on her facial features, that she's probably my cousin. 
Okay. I've never met this woman before in what my life. Was your, so what was your uncle's skill set? Uh, getting crushed by giants. My uncle Besides was a, that. My uncle was Carlton, a paladin. Remember when we paladin. talked about reading the room? I did. I listened to him. My uncle was a paladin, but my family is kind of weird in that different members of the family take on different skills, and it's not guaranteed that... For instance, my my father was, was more of a magician than, than anything else. My mother was a cleric. There is a cleric, I should say. I became a ranger, so I there, there's no way to know whether what she is or what she can do, except that if she if they saw her and they talked to her, then she has to know speak with animals. Otherwise, how would they know any of this stuff? So let's let's consider this then. She is humanoid, half elf like me, as far as I know. Right. So there are. I, I mean, Bernie is an incredibly versatile spellcaster. I Correct. assuming I live long enough. We'll be able to gather spells, and as soon as we get back to the uh, to the Amethyst Acropolis, I can get more spells. Maybe we want to, if she employs animals and and is a humanoid, maybe there's things that we can have on deck that would make this better, uh, that would make this easier. I know for I for one, uh, because this guy, and I point to Carlton. Because this I, guy seems to succumb to the wiles of other spellcasters, I've actually oh, added I, a few spells to my repertoire to deal with this. I don't want to have to go, oh, I saw a play once. It was called Justice League. There was a character named Batman, and he was ready to fight and defeat every member of the Justice League. I don't want to have to do that with you guys. But it's something to keep in mind that that maybe if she is a druid, and we can find out more about druids. Maybe we can find e- things to deal with humanoids specifically, and things to deal with groups of animals specifically. Because those, from what we've seen, those are her skill set. So we can at least be ready for that. Plus, she did kidnap our animals briefly. Yeah, I, that's that, a pretty long reach. That piece isn't lost on me either. Like that, they have that. I mean, I get that they're separatists, but that they have that level of tech, of tech or magic at this point is deeply concerning, especially since they're <sighs> ostensibly a conquered people. And they, they, they did don't that seem to very our, conquered. Well, they did that to our place. Who knows if they can do that again to not animals? Maybe, maybe our companions don't make it back, or maybe they get one of us. I mean, as a group. Yeah, they they got into our teleport nut. Actually. Jonathan the Magimuscular wants to consider for a second and see if there's any way to reinforce or detect if someone is trying to tap the teleportation that the that the pocket house and the nut use. Roll a intelligence check. Also, while he's doing that, I'll ask, are you guys just hanging out in the inn or are you walking and talking? I would assume we're walking and talking because we're yeah, efficient. That's a, that's a yeah, we got yeah, somewhere I to be. walking and talking. Okay. okay. Because we'll, you guys we'll got to get to the sea ward in order to go to Olivia Passerax, and that's not close. So, yeah. Okay. As we were walking and talking. Yeah, we would have assumed walk and talk. Bernie's, that's why I'm asking. While he's thinking about this, Bernie's going to say, how, Carlton. Yeah. How did they get blue? How did they, how did they know? How did they know that blue is related to you? I, I, I don't know. Hearing his name, Blue uh, tries to look up out of the Bernie basket. He's nowhere near tall enough oh, to be no. able to do that yet. So you just hear him. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, good, good oh, dog. Dear. Good dog. Well, you can take Blue to the same person that trained Coco Snoot and fix a lot of these problems. But that 
is actually what we would file under a problem for another time. Um, I have another question. And if this is technology or magic that your conquered people possess, what kind of magic does your people possess? And are we going to see the consequences of it in Faerun? We are. I think we already are. If there are weapons of our people, my people lose here. I didn't anticipate this. I didn't know this going in, but the situation is unraveled and I'm dealing with it as best I can. Jonathan, what was your check? Uh, 13. Not good. Uh, you would think the fact that every time you put down the nut to create the teleportation circle and the fact that it is never down for more than 24 hours would be security in and of itself. That it's because it's not a static teleportation circles like the ones that are in the Amethyst Acropolis, it would be much more difficult to track. So you think they might have been tracking some other connection, maybe? Maybe it wasn't through the teleportation circles, or if it was, they were just able to do it really fast. You're really unsure. And there's not much in the way that you know of of how to secure these things uh, the best security that you can think of is the fact that right now the way to get to get the teleportation circle is in Travancore's pocket right and the, unfortunately the other side the actual the actual dimension is fixed in whatever that is we haven't we haven't seen anyone been able to penetrate that but we can't discount the possibility that that might happen. It's always one of those things. It's like nothing can sink the newest caravel out of Waterdeep. And then what the happens? Off the Sword Coast, the fucking caravel gets sunk. The unsinkable caravel. Sometimes it happens when a U-boat throws a missile at them, too. That's a thing. I've heard of those gnomes are crafty with their U-boats. I'm sorry. They're made of, they're made of you. They're, they're made of you. That's why they're called U-boats. Uh, anyway, so I think, I think there are things we can do. There's care we can take just knowing that this is out there. She played her hand. She played the first card of her hand. We've still got most of our cards because she, she knows about you. I don't know that she knows much about the rest of us. She knows enough to track something that belongs to us. That's true, but. And take it. If my, if our operational security is compromised, that. That's an issue we have to resolve. So how do we resolve that, though? It's like, I guess we resolve it by going to a party. So um, real quick, in, in my mind, was there, were there any other tunnels or caves, once we get done with uh, security work, that we can go back to to look for these Spurconum artifacts down below? Uh, yeah, you know for certain that you did not fully explore that whole system. You got as far as the room that had the, the strange... Um, snake creature that it had been basically surgically altered. And you do know that from there, there was an exit that the kobold that you had been with, Ven Ashstalker, he went through a northern exit. You know, he had said that from there, there were multiple ways to go. One of them would lead down to where the, the cave dragon that all of the kobolds have been worshipping praying to working with which we have a, a at least a we're not going to go that way agreement not necessarily right. a truce but yes although you do i think you do know that that's where those weapons are wait in the it cave, would make sense cave that direction? if they're working with a dragon that a dragon would have artifacts at least like thontorvac was always looking for the cool really weird shit and he's a dragon yeah 
Yeah. If I remember correctly, Joster Tea Leaf told you that uh, it was a a scrum with the dragon that they lost those weapons to. Ugh. And then you also know that there are other tunnels that you have not explored that apparently is where this other evil guy that was actually doing the the experimentation on Veng and others lived. The, the so it sounds one. like we're going to have a tea party and then... Go back down underground. Well, I, and one if thing you want I, to, uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I think it behooves us to find that stuff, especially with threat of uh, of assassins coming after Travancore. But one thing that we should consider if we do go back down there, <sighs> if we fight the dragon, I feel like we shouldn't. We should keep cobalt casualties to a minimum. They're clearly enthralled by the dragon. And obviously, we're going to look out for ourselves, but I think if we do go down that path, we need to resolve that we're going to spare as many of them as possible. They're patsies in this, essentially. What if if, if we get them to work for us because, and I, he, Carlton, like, drops his axe and picks up his fingers and does air quotes, work for Thontorvac, a mighty blue dragon. I don't think they would care because- okay. They've got their god. We can we can say, hey, we work for a blue dragon, but they have a cave dragon right there. And we're not calling Thontorvac in on this. We've already talked about how that would be, how calling on Thontorvac for anything would be a really, really, really fucking bad idea. Soon we'll be no different than the kobolds. But what I will say is out of respect for you, I will do my best. But if any of those kobolds puts me in a, puts me, in a me or him situation, it's not going to be me. Right, I and and I understand that. I'm just saying that if we go, we in, don't strike first. Well, no, no. I, I our effort should be to take down the dragon, if at all possible. I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna save my stuff for. I'm not gonna just throw fireballs into legions of kobolds and burn them all. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't feel comfortable with that. I do get what you're saying, though, Travancore. And obviously, if it came between kobold, random kobold, and you, I choose you. Thanks, bud. But, um, well, obviously, duh. Do we want to think about, and Travancore sort of lightens up for a moment there, bringing back our traveling dragon cosplay theater. <laughs> Again, I think that would only work if they didn't have a dragon, but they have a dragon right there. Right, they, okay. I, I think any other dragon they're going to be unimpressed with. Travancore, you would know with uh, dragons being one of your favorite enemies, yeah. that... Evil dragons, especially, but all dragons in general, they're not the most social creatures, and they're very territorial. And so the idea of bringing in even the the people who work for, quote-unquote, a blue dragon would be encroachment on a territory, and unless this cave dragon happens to be some lawful, good, wonderful kind of dragon, there'll be a fight. They're, they're going to defend their territory. Encroachment. Five-yard penalty. Yeah. Still first down. <laughs> we want to thank Polymorph Crafts for sponsoring this episode. Polymorph Crafts offers stylish and affordable ways to carry everything you need to game day and stay organized at the table. Their mimic chests start life as a compact wood chest that converts into a dice tower and tray, dice and pen vaults, card stands, a coaster, and plenty of room to carry minis and more. Over 230 tiny magnets in each mimic chest make assembly a breeze and come in three affordable price points with lots of customizable options. 
options. So check out polymorphcrafts.com and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at polymorphcrafts. That's polymorphcrafts.com. The wonderful folks behind Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms has given us a code for a free gold chest in their game. What's Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms? Well, it's an officially licensed D&D idle clicker game that you can download and play on your PC via Steam. I've been playing it for a while now, and trust me, it's loads of fun. I usually have it running while I'm editing the audio for our episode. So I'm really excited that we have this offer for our listeners. Gold chests contain five cards from uncommon to rare rarity and give you buffs and sometimes equipment for your champions. Now, this code expires on February 18th, 2018 at 9 p.m. Pacific, so you only have a week to redeem once this episode is posted. So open up your game, go to the shop, and type in this code. P-E-N-E-O-X-E-N-R-U-E-D-J-E-E-L. So use that code and then let us know on Twitter or Instagram what goodies you got. And now, enough of the loot drops. Back to the show. Meanwhile, as you guys continue to have this discussion and enter the Sea Ward, I'd like you all to roll perception checks. All right. That's the thing. I'm decent perception. at Perception. All the perception checks. Animals, too, are just half humans. Oh, uh, uh, if you would like. Yeah. If the animals would like, I'll accept them. So, Carlton. Uh, Carlton has gotten an 18 on his perception check. And Bernie? Bernie is deep in thought about some shit and has a 10. Okay, and Jonathan? Uh, Jonathan is similarly deep in thought and gets an 8. And Bucks? Uh, Bucks gets a soft 20. And, uh, Travancore and Shadow? 21 for Travancore, 4 for the distracted Fire Bear. <laughs> okay, Carlton, Bucks, and Travancore, as you are all having this very deep discussion with lots of ramifications and multiple options for what to do next, you enter the Sea Ward, and the three of you are unfamiliar with the Feast of the Moon. You've either read about it or heard about it or people have told you about it. You seem to know that it is some kind of festival honoring your ancestors. And this area of the Sea Ward that you haven't really been in, that uh, Travancore, you're leading people to because that's where you've been told to go for Olivia Passerac's house. This is the fancy schmancy place where most of the nobles live. It is up higher on the hill overlooking the docks, but not right there. And the vast majority of the houses in this area are easily two to three stories, multiple um, multiple rooms. They're big and ostentatious. And beyond that, they all seem to be open-doored with maybe tents out front. It's kind of a dreary day in Waterdeep. It's not really raining. It's just overcast. It's Seattle. And many of the houses, these mansions that you guys are, are passing by, have little tents set up outside or an awning over the front door. You hear music coming from many of these houses. The three of you, like all of you notice this. The three of you notice that the vast majority of the music is somber and stately. As you continue to walk, Travancore, Bucks, and uh, Carlton, you all notice that in, in a few of the cases, you don't hear music. You hear what sounds like rhythmic chanting. But the chanting is low and a little bit melodious and it's in common and it seems to just be a list of names this person begot this person begot this person the father of the son of the 
brother of the daughter of that kind of thing. I thought it was going to be Cersei the Hound. <laughs> so basically. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie, not quite. Bernie, like, I wanted to roll a religion check to see if, like, she doesn't celebrate the festival of the moon. It's not like a a bay. It's not within the pantheon. But like, how much would she know if I used my religion check? You do know from uh, from earlier talking about it and, and checks. You do know it is not a religious ceremony. Yeah, but I'll let you roll a religion check to see if you recognize, like. As Travancore Bucks and, and uh, Carlton notice this, and they point this out to you, you now hear it. I'll let you roll a religion check to see if this this chanting, what, what that might be. It's a 14. Okay. The fact that it's names, and you know that the Feast of the Moon is basically about honoring your ancestors, you don't think this is a religious ceremony, but you hear it multiple times coming out of multiple houses from different people some of these houses have just music playing you see people coming and going you you see a lot of people on the street of a lot of different dress and status all coming in and out of these rich people's houses and then every once in a while you come across a house and where all that seems to be going on inside is very loud john who has begot katrina who then was the daughter of that kind of very stately, almost religious-like cadence, but it's just names. It's just lists and lists of names. The other thing you notice is that there are a lot more guards around than you've really ever seen. And at first it seems like, well, we're in the rich part of town, and they they not only is the city watch around, but each of these houses have their own guards. But it, it seems to be a larger show of force than you're used to and part of it is just because there are people everywhere it would it would almost be a fair like atmosphere with the number of people but they're all just kind of very stately slowly entering these houses in there for a little while and coming back out well it's certainly this is a thing not a thing i would do but i mean it's nice to remember who came before you that's not a bad thing i guess um, do you know what Olivia's address is, Travancore? I read off the location of her house from the note that I have. You're about you're about a block, block and a half away. You're not not that far. Alright, well, we should uh we should get going. Yep. Alright, you're just gonna make a beeline there? Yes. Yeah. I wanted to give you a chance to finish up any last minute conversational things that you wanted to say, but I mean Bernie was-, was thinking about hanging back and like talking to Jonathan some more. Okay, you've got a little bit of time. I don't think this is... I think the situation is a little more urgent than everyone's making it out to be. The problem is we don't know. They demonstrated a an ability to get to us somehow. But as Travancore has said previously, that land is very, 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 very far away. Now... That doesn't make a whole lot of difference when you're teleporting, but I think we have time to at at least prepare a little bit. We all, you know, we sometimes I blow spells on stupid shit. I've been send I've been using sending to uh, uh, Dorveen just about every night. I'm gonna stop doing that. That way, I have an, another spell ready just in case the shit happens. I mean, I think as far as you and I, Bernie. We just have to be more careful with our resources. And this is a very unawesome 
thing for me to say because like I just love doing spells. Like I'd scorching ray that guy's chicken over there. I mean, just because. But I we can't I I don't think we can do that anymore. No, I do enjoy scaring small children by telling them they're going right. to hell. But you know, I mean Bay sort of frowns on that, but we don't have a hell. What am I kidding? A hell is Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> a, a, a tailor that makes clothing for Swifts? I, is that a thing? She's she's a Becky. Um, but, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I see what you mean, but here's the thing. We're not in charge here. We don't get to make a decision for everyone who lives in Waterdeep. And we don't get to make this decision for everyone who lives in Faerun. And it is incredibly unfair if we think a hostile force is coming here to do nothing and to tell no one and to leave people. I mean, I don't want to cause a panic. Oh, I'm not planning on keeping this to myself. I plan to, as soon as I get back to the, uh, to the, uh, the watchful order, I'm going to tell Master Zick about what happened. Uh, and I'm going to ask, hey, how does one do this? And and what can we do? So I'm at least letting them know. I figure the force of powerful mages probably is a good ally to have in this. And I don't I mean, you can probably tell any other any other acolytes of uh, of Bay or any other allied temples that maybe something is coming. This is something we can. And and at this point, Jonathan is kind of he doesn't normally do this when he's talking to Bernie. He's going to get down and, and take a knee. And he's going to like Bernie. I definitely don't plan on leaving this alone. I know Travancore is calm and he's very, he's being pragmatic. I get it. But there are definitely things that we can do. Just not at this moment. Tomorrow morning though, or whenever we can, we're going to engage these resources that we have, that we can bring to bear. If, if there are agents out there of that are not working in Faerun or Waterdeep's interests, Maybe there's already, maybe there's already an ambassador out there, or maybe there are already agents here that people haven't connected the dots. We can help them connect those dots for everyone's sake. I hope so. I think you should add on your, I know we're really quiet about it. I think you need to tell your council of mages that we have a pocket house. And I think you need to ask them how our portal got manipulated. I will if it's if it's up and running, if it's ready to go, I will demonstrate it for for Matt, for for them. Uh, and maybe uh, Carl, maybe we can get some let answers. Carlton be there to show them the garden. He's really proud of that. Well, you think maybe we should give him a couple of days to put it back in order? And it was just stomped. <sighs> oh, let's see. Let's do this. Scene let's see of what the, the modules do. Scene <laughs> of the crime, right? Scene of That's the crime. That's true. Yeah. So a little aside, out of character. The character sheet I sent over to Lauren, it does list enemies as the kobold that squished my zucchini. <laughs> you killed most of them! They're already dead! <laughs> Listen, you can hold a grudge past death. Uh, exactly. At this point, like, Jonathan, you and Bernie had taken a moment, you'd taken a knee and, and chatted, but then you you notice that you're coming up upon the house. Or at least it seems to be. Travancore, you see Olivia Pastorak's house. And while you haven't been there before, this is the address. It is, like the other houses around here, a stately manor. It seems to be two floors. It is well cared for. It does have a fairly large tent. Most of the, the houses we've been passing by have just had like little awnings or little tiny tents just outside of the door to shelter people as they're coming inside from the rain. This is a fairly large tent. And you hear... 
raucous music coming from inside. Unlike all of the other houses that you have been to that have been very slow, regal, uh, we're going to do very stately kind of dance music to, or somber music, this music can best be described as a drunken Irish bar fight. <laughs> oh. But you you have arrived and... Travancore, as you as you all get closer, you do confirm your suspicion that this is the right place because you see there is a gentleman standing just outside of the door in the purple doublet and hose that you recognize from earlier. This is Gunter, the gentleman that was with Olivia Passerak when they saw you this morning. And he sees you and you guys lock eyes and he just nods to you. Okay. I walk over to Gunter and I say, good day. Good day, sir. Uh, the lady is waiting inside. Thank you for being on time. And he gives a little head bow to all of you. All right. I'm going to head on in with Shadow. Actually, is it all right if my bear escorts me? I don't mean to, I don't want to presume that he's welcome or not welcome. Just let me know what's what. I don't see any reason as long as they are under your control and trained. I, I had assumed as much if they had accompanied you down into those tunnels that these were b- battle-ready and intelligent creatures. They are. I just didn't want to be presumptuous. I, I understand. I appreciate the thought. But as, as long as they are uh, under your command, then they are perfectly welcome in our establishment. Shadow, come. Uh, and Shadow, who hasn't really left your side too much, like, he's been a little more calm since this information has yeah. finally got out. He, like, preens a little bit, <laughs> and he is, like, <laughs> at your side, yeah. although he does have to get him behind you because the two yeah. of you can't enter the door right. so at I tell the same him, time. I, I, he follows right behind me. I, I sort of do it more to demonstrate that Shadow is under my control. Like, I know Shadow follows me, everything like that, and Shadow knows that. And he's a pretty smart fire bear, so I'm think- I think he's picking up what I'm putting down. That's what I'm trying to say here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he struts like a, a show pony. How about the rest of you? I mean, Bernie's on Coco Snoot. Coco Snoot's coming. And I'm walking in. As we're walking in, I say to Bucks, Bucks, uh, go ahead and uh, set up a little little patrol outside. Uh, but if you do get hungry or you just want to hang out, feel free to raid the buffet. And I give him a little wink. Bucks uh, nods to you and flies up the and and circles the house a couple of times and eventually he kind of lands on one of the overhangs over one of the second floor story windows and you know that he'll just continue to do circles and keep an eye out. I send thoughts of attaboy, buddy. As you guys enter, the main foyer of the Passerac household is immense. It's very possible that. A good portion of the square footage of this house, of this manor, is taken up with this foyer. You can see that there are servants rushing around setting up tables, and already a buffet is being set up about 40, 50 feet away from the entrance, and it looks like the tables have been strategically placed to block off the rest of this area. Like, they, they're setting up a smaller area for people to come and eat food well away from the rest of the manor house. Hmm. As you guys enter, Gunter follows you and says, oh, th- this way, I'll show you to where my lady is. And he moves over to the side where there is a, a path to go through that there is a guard standing at. And you can see that the, the tables are like, half-filled. There's fresh foods being brought out now, but it seems like you've arrived just before lunch-ish. It's 
an impressive spread already. And there's a, a nice green tablecloth across all of these these tables. All of the food that's being brought out are on shiny silver platters. And it is, it seems to be some sort of lunch buffet finger food style. It's a lot of... There's roasted chickens and pigs and lambs, but they're all in ready to just pick off the bone. You see everything from bread to sugared almonds. It's there's one side of it is all fresh fruits and vegetables, and the other side is all tarts and pastries. It is an impressive spread. Behind where these tables have been set up to basically corner off the front of the house, you see where this raucous music is coming from. There is a trio of musicians over to the side, kind of in a little alcove, sitting on chairs that are just rocking. There's a mandolin, a violin, and a hurdy-gurdy. All three of them are just cranking away at really upbeat, very loud music. Some of them are amplifying the music with percussion where they're just whacking on their instruments. They are obviously having a ball. There's a few people scattered about, milling about, you would say, but for the size of this gathering, this party that seems to be setting up, either you've arrived early enough that nothing has happened yet, or there's just not a lot of people here. Most of the people that you see seem to be guards, servants, but there there are a couple of other nobles, most of whom you don't recognize, but Gunter very quickly brings you over to Lady Olivia Pastorak, who has changed out of her work clothes from this morning, and while she hasn't put on... She's not in any kind of flowing gown or robe. She does seem to be in a more professional doublet and hose cut for her figure, uh, also in browns and blacks. And as she sees you, she nods and says, It's good to see that you were able to get here so quickly. Thank you for coming. Yeah, no problem. This time, remembering my mistake from last time, I actually extend out my hand for the the Travancore forearm hand (laughs) grasp. She responds to that with a a much more relaxed posture. Every time you've gone to like kiss her hand, she seemed a little wary. But this meeting of equals, she very quickly clasps your hand. And then she goes to the rest of you to offer you the same handshake. Sure thing. Yes. I do it, mimicking what I saw Travancore do. Bernie's going to, as she shakes her hand, pull out the bottle of uh, carpet cleaner and say, thank you so much for having us to your home. It is incredibly lovely. And given that our friend right here has a brand new puppy, we figured we'd do a little something to keep it incredibly lovely. The innkeeper swears by this, and he has a lot of, um, let's say, bodily messes that he gets to clean up. One would imagine if he is in charge of an inn that that is going to happen. She accepts the bottle and smiles, looks over at Carlton and says... Too young to be left at home, I assume. Yes, and I go and I reach back and I'm like, look at him! Oh. Now, well, I, I was curious about, about your puppy, and she gives it a critical look. She doesn't approach. Like, she doesn't put her hand out. She just kind of gives it a very critical look and says, Dire Wolf. Yes, it's my brother. I, I will, I, I promise to ask about that later, and I still will, but um, the festivities are about to begin, so... I'm assuming he's going to stay in the basket the whole time? Yes. Okay. It's safe in the basket. 
It it is, and I would not want him getting in trouble underfoot. So I will I will leave that up to you. But she accepts the bottle and hands it over to uh, Gunter, who is quick to then hand it over to another servant. They basically can't wait for him to pee. Thanks for listening to our adventure. If you've enjoyed our show, visit us at DungeonDrunks.com for links to all of our social media, pictures and bio of our cast, a full list of credits, and more. We'd appreciate it if you left us a review, and we would love it if you come support us on Patreon. Visit Patreon.com slash DungeonDrunks to sign up. Thanks again, and we'll see you next encounter. We appreciate all of our patrons on Patreon and extend a special thanks to our Artifact and Wondrous Tier patrons. Thank you, Lori, Megan, and Hunted Shadows, LLC.